Hello and welcome to another episode of My Wax Museum. I'm your host, Alex Williams, and today I'm joined by Jasmine Mims. This is a really interesting conversation. We talk about food, family, and her experience of culture shock moving from a predominantly black neighborhood to being the only black student in her grade. We also talk about achievement and legacy. A really cool conversation coming up. And remember, after today's show to make five minutes today, to listen intently to the people around you. Jasmine Mims, welcome to My Wax Museum. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you as well. We had Joseph on in the time of recording about a week ago and then in the time of release two, I think two or three weeks ago here. So it's exciting to have you on now to get your life experience and to hear more about you. So why don't you start with how we know each other? Yeah, I forgot how we, where we connected at, but we were on your other podcast maybe mm -hmm. about a month ago. At least a month ago, yeah. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it was the best interview that we've ever done. And oh, we thought you were like super great at conversation. And I guess you thought the same about us. So you invited us back on to your other podcast. Yeah, I loved chatting with you guys after the interview. I was just like, that was just like, really nice people. <laughs> like, and so, so sometimes I do that if I have an interview with somebody or I meet somebody and I'm like, I just need an excuse to have another conversation with them. I'll, I'll ask them to be on my wax museum so that I can just hear more about your story and more about your experience. So as we get into that, let's start off with where you're from originally. I am from... I say Chicago Heights Homewood area because I moved a lot as a kid. Uh, but my grandma's house was at was in Chicago Heights, which is a south suburb of Chicago. Um, so I kind of just rep Chicago Heights as the home base because that was always there for me when I was younger. Interesting. So you spent a lot of time at your grandma's place then growing up? Yep. There they picked me up from preschool and there on the weekends and always there, literally. <laughs> really? Yeah. That is awesome. Tell tell me a little bit about that, because I'm always interested in hearing, you know, about the relationships that we have with the adults in our lives and what kind of impact that had on us. Would you mind getting into that? Yeah. So um, honestly, like my grandma's house was like one of the best places that I can think of. Um, unfortunately, both of my grandparents passed already um, and the house was actually taken from the bank um, a couple years ago, sadly too, but um, just kind of reminiscing on like the memories there. Um, it was such a great place because I don't remember too much about my grandpa because he passed, I think when I was like around 10. So we didn't really have like a, a real relationship. It was kind of like he was there He'd um, discipline us with a newspaper, like smack us on the head with a newspaper <laughs> when we were acting up. And he was just kind of there as like a disciplinary um, grandparent. But then I remember he used to pick me up a lot, too. Um, and then my grandma, that was like, that's my girl. Um, <laughs> she recently she passed last year and like she and she had Alzheimer's. So um that was pretty sad because I feel like our relationship could have been 
<clears throat> so much stronger. But, you know, with like dementia and Alzheimer's and her not really remembering things, it was hard to keep a conversation, especially towards the end. But when I was younger, I mean, she fed me a lot. So as you probably are taking away, I absolutely love food. <laughs> uh, some of like the best memories I had with her was centered around food, really. Like she'd work at night as a nurse and um, I would wake her up because I knew that she would say yes if she was asleep. So I would wake her up and say, grandma, can I have, can I have this apple? Because she used to have like these, like the biggest green or yellow apples I've ever seen. And she always said yes. And then she made, um, she'd always make like peanut butter and jellies for like the whole neighborhood and like all of our friends over there and peanut butter and jelly with butter on it. Wow. So that was interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Was it good? <laughs> yeah, it was. Surprisingly, I haven't had it in a really long time, but I remember it being like super good and we ate it all the time. <laughs> I, I love it. I love uh, like... It's funny the relationship between kids, grandparents, and food. You know, like those all seem to go so well together. Uh, were there were there any particular foods other than the big green apples? W were there any particular foods that uh, that you loved that your your grandma made? She used to take me to Burger King. Well, her and my grandpa. Uh, they we always used to go to Burger King after they picked me up from I think it was preschool or maybe kindergarten. Um, and that was when the Whoppers were like humongous. They got a little smaller now, but that was when they were huge. Um, and I remember if we didn't go, then she would make those at home. And it, it really did taste just like Burger King. Really? She made like the best burgers ever. Huh. That that is really cool. <laughs> Uh, so okay so your your kid growing up in Chicago spending a ton of time with your grandparents especially your grandma uh, tell me a little bit more about uh, about your school experience you were you mentioned you would teach friends how to sing was it Kanye West songs yeah it was that um it was the one and two and three and four and right. do them sit-ups <laughs> so you're teaching your your friends this tell tell me more about your school life growing up yeah, so um, it, it's kind of weird because when I was in preschool or maybe kindergarten, um, the school was in Chicago Heights, so it was really close to my grandparents. But then as I got older, um, maybe when maybe like first grade or something, um, my parents, they moved us to Frankfurt. So Chicago Heights is like a predominantly um, black community. And then Frankfurt is a predominantly white community. So the cultures are like extreme, like they're polar opposites really. Um, and my mom is actually white and my dad's black. <laughs> uh, so it was, it was interesting because when I went to school in Frankfurt, it was, almost like a culture shock going between like going back to my grandparents' house and then going back home. Um, it, it was a huge culture shock. And I moved around a couple times in within Frankfurt. And I think it was about maybe fourth grade. I was the only black student there that I could think of. Um, and it's, it's strange that I could remember that at 
such a young age. You wouldn't think it it would matter, but it did only because I I don't remember having a lot of friends. Um, and I was actually bullied too, a couple times, as I'm sure, you know, everybody has been when they were younger. Um, but fourth grade, it it wasn't, <laughs> it was not the time of my life. I didn't have a lot of friends. Um, I think that's when the culture shock was kicking in a little bit more. And then we were new to the, um, to the school district. So, you know, everybody already has all their friend groups and I'm just kind of there like, Hey, can I be your friend? (laughs) Um, so in fifth grade is when we moved to the Homewood Flossmoor area and that area was more diverse. Um, and I, I stayed within that school district until I graduated high school. So I felt so much more comfortable. Um, the, the diversity, like it was easier for me to make friends. I made friends probably like day one. Um, I'm still really good friends with some of my, um, some of the, the old friends from like fifth grade. Really? Wow. Um, yeah. So like my fifth grade friend, her name is Nautica. She just had a baby and I'm his godmom. So that was, that was pretty awesome. That is really cool. <laughs> it It's interesting because at that age, you don't know who you're going to be friends with moving forward. And you kind of make the assumption like, we'll always be friends, right? And then it's always cool to see who you get to keep along for your for your journey uh, through through life. It's really interesting. I, I'm curious to hear more about um, like diversity between like the, the differences between these school districts. Uh, I don't know how how they organize it in in Chicago and stuff, but that was was that like a culture shock for you a little bit, like moving into this predominantly white neighborhood? Yeah, it it definitely was um, because it was like Chicago Heights is what you would call ghetto, <laughs> and mm-hmm. Frankfurt was like kind of just like that uppity neighborhood, like the the white picket fence big houses like basically like where people would imagine like the american dream at right Um, so it's it's going from like you know it's it's probably a crackhead in like one of these houses next to my grandparents and then going to the neighborhood um people are like super like maybe not super wealthy but um they're pretty well off not struggling um the it's really no poverty so it was it was just a mix of a bunch of things that contributed to like the different cultures um in those different communities yeah that's really interesting and then and then you moved and found yourself at a at a school with a lot more diversity Mm -hmm. um can you tell me like a little bit more about that, what that experience was like seeing, you know, going from this stark place where you didn't fit into to a place where, you know, maybe there's a whole range of of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell Like, tell me more about that. Yeah. So when we moved into like the more diverse community, um, it was pretty much like a a sense of relief, like the the people at the school like they listened to like the same kind of music i liked and it was just it was easy it was like the puzzle piece that fit 
And I I think I, I want to say that I did make friends like day one, like it was super easy. And coming from the school where I barely had any friends that probably I probably felt super good about that. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. And what a relief, like as a kid to go from feeling like you didn't have many friends to like day one being like, oh, like, I'm welcome here. This is nice. Yeah. So and now, of course, you you kept some of the friends even even to today. And so I, I'm interested to hear your philosophy on friendship, then like what, what matters to you? in friendship, in building those relationships? Because obviously you're a different person than you were in grade five. Mm -hmm. So how do you maintain those relationships? Yeah, so um, it's kind of funny that you asked this because when I was coming home from the deployment with the army, um, this is where, this was like the time in my life that I kind of went through it, kind of like letting go of friends that I thought I would have forever. Um, Like in high school, it was pretty much, it was the same group of girls that we were friends with from like fifth, sixth and seventh grade. We were friends up until uh, the very end. And um, after I got home from the deployment, I was just kind of thinking to myself, like, I I feel like I'm 30. (laughs) I don't feel like I'm 21 years old right now. So there was not a sense of like superiority or anything, but I kind of just made up in my mind, like I can't be around people that they just, they want to live like that 21 year old life. They just want to, you know, go out and party and drink and do all this stuff. That's cool. But I have like real responsibilities now. I think I was the first one out of the friend group to like actually move out and get their own place and I was the only one that uh, went on a deployment, actually the only one that joined the military. Um, And I I was always a super high achiever. So like when I got home from the deployment, it kind of kicked in a high gear. So if they weren't like at least doing something to better their life, then I kind of kicked them like kicked them out of the picture in a way. And it, it felt wrong at first. I felt like I shouldn't have done that. But looking back, it's just like, hey, you know, like I can't keep the same friends around forever. I need people around me that will support me, motivate me to do better. And I can do the same for them. Like there still needs to be some exchange of value there. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we often think of friendship as, oh, you know, they're just just my friend. But it's like, well, but there's something to the relationship. Right. There's that exchange of value that you mentioned. And so I, th- I think that's, uh, I, I like the way that you put that and interesting how you illustrated, you know, how you went on a different path than, than they did and, and that that relationship didn't necessarily stick around for that. And you mentioned, you mentioned joining the military in our quick questions beforehand. And that was something I wanted to ask you about because uh, I don't think, at least as far as I know, I haven't interviewed anybody who's been in the military or at least who's talked about it on the podcast. So tell me a little bit about that experience. Short story is I absolutely hated it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> longer version is it's so funny because my grandma, like as I was growing up, both her and my grandpa were in the military. And that, I think that's like 
how they met or something like that. So she would always encourage me like, oh, you should join, you should join the army and you'll get to travel the world and, and experience everything like I did. And I'd be like, no, grandma, I'm not doing that. That's not for me. <laughs> I'm going to college. I'm going to school. I don't want to do that. Um, and then ironically, I found myself in the army. I joined the army reserves because they said they pay for college. It was only one weekend a month and we weren't going to get deployed. And then of course I get deployed right after training, which I, I was kind of excited about because it was a new experience for me. But at the same time, it's not like, you know, who, who wants to go on a deployment for a year? Like you're basically losing a year of your life. Um, right. So it, it was kind of bittersweet. But then when I met Joe there, um, the, I saw the brighter side <laughs> because um, the deployment, it was meant it was really mentally rough on us. Um we went to Cuba, to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. So it wasn't like, you know, people are shooting at us or anything like that. We were safe. Um, and we were actually the, um, we acted kind of like prison guards for the detainees there. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't a horrible job. It, the detainees were actually funny sometimes and um, they weren't, we were in the compliant camp, so it's not like they were spitting on us or anything. It was pretty cool, but it was more so the people that we worked with, um, they were like super sabotaging and cutthroat and like everybody's kind of just they, like the higher leadership. They're there for like the dog and pony show. Um, you know, you, they they just want to stroke their own egos. So the deployment was really rough. Joe and I got in trouble all the time. And the only way we made it through is because we pretty much had each other. I mean, we, we did have friends there, but um, they didn't really feel the same way that we felt. So Joe and I kind of just stuck together. Um, and then after we got home, we stayed in for a couple, couple more years. And then honestly, we just stopped going. <laughs> because we had, I think we had maybe like a year and a half left, but it got to a point where like we get depressed literally every single time it comes up for the month because we had to go once a month um, for a weekend. And we just stopped going um, because we tried to uh, do what's called a conscientious objection um, where it, it basically is a paper that you type up um, saying that you don't agree with the the values and the army and stuff like that. And they're supposed to basically let you go. Uh, when we turned in that paper, our captain was like, um, no, you, you missed a day. So we're already in the process of kicking you out. We were like, okay, well, we're just not going to go anymore. <laughs> then, <laughs> You're like, all right, I guess it's done. Yeah. So Interesting. They kind of totally disregarded it. And we were like, all right, well, since you since you don't want to do your job, we're not going to do ours. Yeah, that is so fascinating. So that's is that how you guys met? Yeah, we met um, while we were on the deployment. Um, we were still in Texas because we were in a what's called pre-mobilization, like getting ready and training and stuff like that. Um, and we were assigned in the, in the same like unit, the same 
team. So we were around each other like 24 seven. And Joe was sharing all his Pop-Tarts with me. And as you know, that I love food. I mean, I just couldn't resist. <laughs> and then like we, that it started it all. <laughs> I love that. That is so funny. All it takes is, is Pop-Tarts, the way to a girl's heart, I guess. That is so funny. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, because we didn't get into that on, on Joe's episode. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up now. Hey, future Alex here, just interjecting to mention that My Wax Museum has an Instagram page with a ton of bonus content. Now, this content is based on these quick questions I ask guests beforehand. You can only find the answers on our Instagram page. It's just My Wax Museum. That's the handle, at My Wax Museum. See you over there. Now, back to the show. Kind of moving now into your present and what you're doing now, do you want to kind of give me the Coles Notes version of where you are now, what your focuses are now? Yeah, so right now, um, Joe and I, we have a business that goes out and buys other small businesses. Um, so that is called private equity. Um, and we recently just launched a fund so that we could raise uh, $10 million from investors to go out and buy more small businesses. That's awesome. What was it that drew you to going into private equity and doing business? Um, so funny because we were in real estate. We started kind of like in real estate and trying to do real estate investing. And I applied for a job at a coffee shop and told them I was a real estate investor. And then they said, oh, we're we're expanding. Would you like the opportunity? So eventually we did take the opportunity to uh, buy into the coffee shop franchise. And along the way, we were able to buy an existing location from um, one of the franchisees that was already um, operating. So then we were like, we like business better than we like real estate. So we'll stick with business. And after we bought that existing location, we were like, yeah, we like buying businesses that are already up and running because we saw how smooth it was. It was like the management was already in place. The systems were there. It, it, it was definitely not like a startup. So um, after that, we, we've just been on a hunt for more businesses to buy. And we found out that it's actually a thing that people do that all the time. And then we were like, oh, it's called private equity. Okay. <laughs> I love that. I love the, like the, the passion and the interest and the honestly fascination that you guys have with this as you get into it. Cause in our conversations previously, which if people want to listen to those, uh, we had an episode with you guys come out actually April 21st, which isn't that long ago from when we're recording this. And then also October 22nd, which is a ways from when we're recording this, but it's in the past now that people are listening to it. Uh, <laughs> the magic of recording <laughs> in advance. Uh, so those are episodes 47 and 126 of Broken Bulbs, if people want to check, check those out and hear more about your guys' experiences and missteps in business as you've been figuring this out. But talking to you guys is so fascinating because you have like such an obvious curiosity about it and, and you're always learning more and saying, oh, and we learned this and this is how we got there. And so I think it's, I think it's really cool. So as we get into the last little bit of the podcast, 
I want to hear about where you hope to take this. Like, what what are you guys' plans? I mean, just keep buying up businesses and, you know, see how it goes? Yeah, so um, really, we our plans are, like, limitless at this point. Um, our goal is to definitely be multi-billionaires. Um, we said by 30 because we're 25, but... At the rate that we're going right now, our timeline keeps getting pushed back a little bit, but we'll make it there eventually. Um, and we would like to have um, operate like at one time, a hundred small businesses because um, we'll have the systems in place so that we can do that. Um, but we really aspire to be like uh, Russell Branson um, because like with the, the Virgin Airlines and like all the Virgin companies, like he, he has so much, <laughs> like so many companies. I think he has like 400 companies or something like that. And we were like, we need to be like that. We want to be like that. And what is it that that piques your interest in that? What is it that drives you towards that kind of goal? I think it's pretty much just coming from nothing. I mean, because like our, our families, they were on food stamps and they didn't live in the best neighborhoods and uh, lights getting cut off sometimes and living like that just paycheck to paycheck lifestyle, um, we knew that we we have to break the cycle and we don't want to just break it. We want to like throw it out entirely. Like we're starting, we want to start a new, a new generation, a new, a new line, like a new meaning for our name. Right, right. So I guess uh, what is, you know, you you've broken the cycle you've created businesses you've bought businesses you've built businesses you've strengthened businesses as you've gone through what's what like what do you do with all that success then like when you get there because i i you know you sit there and you're like wow i've done it cool you know like yeah. <laughs> what's what's your hope um, well, we're really big into giving back. We give, uh, we make sure that we always tithe at our church. We try to always give like that 10% minimum um, whenever we get anything in. Um, so really it's not, it's not to be like selfish and to keep it all in. Um, of course, we are creating a family legacy. So we definitely want to make sure that like our kids and our grandkids are set like, and they don't, they don't even understand what struggling is because they have it so good. Um, but we also want to give back to other people too. Like we'll always give to our church. Um, we'll always give to like charities. Um, we have so many different ideas for like nonprofits. Like we've talked about, um, like the other day we were talking about a mentorship program where um, I think it was Tom Boyer. He took some kid from like homeless to millionaire, like within a year just through mentorship. Uh, so we want to do stuff like that. Um, we want to create like this forest preserve um, that kind of thing where, because we're we're also really big into nature too, 
and um, we really like animals. Like we want to have a farm and uh, we, we do really enjoy like the sustainability and like, you know, that whole everything, like the ethical, sustainable, all that. Um, so we want to contribute to that in a way too. Um, we just want to make a lot of contributions. We, we want to help the world become a better place. I like that. And I, I think it's cool to hear, you know, your your ideas for how to do that. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's really awesome. And it leads in pretty perfectly with my last question that I ask every, every guest that I have on the show. And I kind of want you to take your time with this and, and really, you know, uh, really share what you think and what you hope for uh, with this question. And that is, at the end of your life, when you're looking back on everything you've done, you've, you know, made forest preserves, you've created sustainable small businesses, and you've lifted people up through mentorship programs, and just through just being a resource for people, just by helping people. When you look back on everything that you've accomplished up to now, but then also everything that you will accomplish up to then, when you're looking back on it all, what do you think is going to be the things you're most proud of and satisfied with? I'd say the number one thing that I will be proud of is we don't have any kids right now, um, but we do plan to have some kids is um, to, to kind of change the way that we raise our kids because not to say like my childhood was horrible or to say that Joe's childhood was horrible, but we see a lot of improvement that could have been made. And we wanna make sure that um, we're making the necessary changes so that our kids come out like way better than we could ever be. And then that they raise our grandkids way better than how they, they could have been raised. Um, so I think my, what I would probably be most proud of is being a parent, uh, being a really good parent. And, um, not just in the sense that I feel like everybody nowadays thinks like they're a great parent, but not to say that they're horrible or anything, but it's just like, <laughs> you know, some things are really selfish and, I mean, sometimes it's okay to be selfish, but for the most part, it's like Joe and I, we focus so much on our legacy and like long-term plays that we sacrificed a lot in the short term and we're okay with that. But a lot of people aren't okay with that. Um, and, and I see people like, I have one family member that, her and uh, the kid's father, like they don't get along and you can tell that it puts, it puts strain on the child. Um, so I wanna make sure that I'm always doing the best that I can, not for myself, but for the kid, because like the kids are the future. Like they literally are, <laughs> like you're gonna die and they're still gonna be here. And their impact is, like it it ties back to you and if you don't put in like that if you don't put in the effort the time energy if you don't put everything you have into the kid then 
they can turn out like Michael Myers or they can turn out like, I don't know, President Obama or, you know, whatever the case may be. Like the the child, like you hold that child's future almost in your hands. And I don't think a lot of people understand the responsibility that comes along with that. But um, Joe and I do. And we try to make sure that we even like, well, at least I read like kids books now, like parenting books, and we don't even have kids yet. We don't plan on having kids for at least another four years, but we're preparing for it now. I like that. I I, I like how intentional you are about where you've come from and where that's going to lead you and the things that you're doing in the meantime to get there. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. And I think this conversation has been fantastic. So I just want to say thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And thank you for listening, not just to the show, which we certainly do appreciate, but more so to the people around you, the people from your everyday life that you just happen to know. Make five minutes today to listen intently to the people around you. Mecco.